You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Okay, so say there's this industry that's worth about $15 billion a year. I'm just guessing it's hard to say because the accounting for this kind of industry is kind of uh, murky. Say that in exactly one year, a new government regulation is coming along that'll shrink that industry by a third. Well, that industry would be called the European Equity Research Industry, and the regulation would be called MIFID II. In Europe and beyond, the prospects of a MIFID II future are already having profound effects on asset managers and sell-side analysts. Coming up, we'll find out what one consequence of MIFID II, shrinking research coverage, means for IROs and what they can do to prepare. And proxy access. The right of shareholders to list director nominees on a company's proxy ballot is taken for granted in many global markets, but not in the United States. Like it or not, globalization and the rise of passive investment are sowing the seeds for a new normal. Data engagement is where the investor community focus on one issue and targets everybody to try and improve and raise standards. MSCI's Alan Brett says it's time for investors to narrow their sights. First, here's this week's IR News. Global megacap slashed IR staff last year. Most IR departments lost at least one member in 2016. The latest edition of IR Magazine's Global Practice Report shows the average megacap IR team now consists of just over five people. The survey found other cap sizes saw modest personnel growth. We need to modernize our notion of what constitutes cyber defense. Traditional approaches, including federal regulation, will not solve the problem because they're going to be largely reactive and will not stay ahead of the changing net threat nature. Larry Clinton is CEO of the Internet Security Alliance. Worse, bad regulation could be counterproductive, leading companies to expend their limited resources on building in-house efforts to meet regulatory demands rather than focusing on security. Since 2001, the Trade Association has lobbied Washington for a regulatory model where market incentives are at the forefront of policy. You're dealing with the invention of gunpowder. Mandating thicker armor is not going to work any more than building deeper moats was going to stop the uh, hoarders, you know, and the invaders who invented catapults, or the Maginot Line was able to stop the Germans uh, in World War II. We need a different approach. We need a contemporary and creative approach that engages the private sector with government, not having the government control what the private sector does. The trouble is, the private sector isn't exactly on top of the problem. According to a new advisory handbook issued by Internet Security Alliance and the National Association of Corporate Directors, only about 40% of board members feel confident their company is properly secure against a cyber attack. The updated handbook warns that high-profile attacks could lead to shareholder derivative lawsuits accusing a company of mismanagement, waste of corporate assets, and abuse of control. It calls on boards to receive regular briefings on legal and regulatory issues specific to their circumstances. Meanwhile, a KPMG poll shows audit committee members expect managing cybersecurity risk will be one of their top concerns this year. The survey of 800 audit committee members also reveals more respondents think their company's risk management policies need substantial work 
than those that feel their company has a robust system in place. Nearly a third cite more cybersecurity expertise as key to improving audit committee performance. Market-led reform is also on the minds of UK governance leaders. The Governance Institute and the Investment Association have launched a project aimed at ensuring boards factor in the views and interests of employees and other stakeholders in decision-making. The two bodies will identify existing best practice and publish practical guidance in the second quarter of 2017. Finally, investors are optimistic about 2017. Bank of America Merrill Lynch's January fund manager survey shows expectations of global growth hitting a two-year high. And a Corbin perception survey finds most investors feel better about the U.S. economy post-election and expect it to improve over the next six months. Shareholders in the U.S. are convincing more and more companies to adopt proxy access provisions. But a recent MSCI report shows they're often persuading the wrong ones. Since shareholder campaigns ramped up two years ago, proxy access adoption rates have jumped from less than 1% to more than 41% of U.S. incorporated firms in the MSCI USA Index. However, the researchers also find that the least shareholder-friendly companies, like those with entrenched boards, remain least likely to be among that group. Alan Brett is head of corporate governance ratings research at MSCI. So, you know, what we showed on proxy access was, you know, the ones that, that have mainly introduced it so far are the ones where it's unlikely to be needed. Um, you know, which was the key finding in the report was a lot of the entrenched boards haven't yet been targeted. Brett predicts IROs at those sorts of companies can expect to hear from shareholders soon. For the companies that haven't adopted it yet, you know, I think it's, it's pretty inevitable to say that there will be a resolution on the way. If it's not this year, then probably next year. You know, the investors only have so many people. And with so many AGMs on, you know, around the same time of year, it can be difficult to get to all the AGMs at once. So that's going to restrain the progress a little bit. But, you know, over the next two or three years, certainly, I think, I, I think every, pretty much every company will have had a proxy access proposal if they don't have it in place already. Brett says despite proxy access gains, the ability of shareholders to hold underperforming U.S. boards to account still falls short of global norms. I went into a meeting in the Netherlands uh, just before Christmas uh, with a client you know, who had just come on board and obviously was learning our methodology, and they were trying to understand why we had proxy access uh, in the model in the first place, because their, their perspective was everybody has it. And I said to them, no, do you not realize that actually if you own, you know, own shares in a U.S. company, almost certainly you don't have the right to nominate candidates to the board unless you go through this really expensive process of putting together you know, a, a proxy fight with filing you know, all these documents with the SEC. And they were, they, were shocked. they were actually shocked. I could see it on their faces. They couldn't believe it. Um, and I think that's often the reaction of many global investors. Um, that rights that they take for granted. Brett says that attitude extends to ESG assessments at U.S. AGMs. The U.S. activists who have been sort of leading the charge on this, part of the reason I think they've been so successful is because they've got immediate buy-in from all that global investor uh, community. The, the battle of opinion is, is still in the U.S. market, but uh, for, for an individual company... You know, if they have got to look at their at their at their share register and understand where their where their share you know their shareholders are based, and the shareholders become increasingly share registers become increasingly global. You know, we we've seen the impact of more global uh, 
shareholder registers in, in markets like Japan, where it's really evolving um, the governance arrangements and best practices. And I think, you know, it's inevitable that the same will happen in the U.S. Academics have identified a relationship between proxy access reform and shareholder wealth. One estimate puts proxy reform adding $140 billion to total U.S. market capitalization. You know, markets like, you know, Korea or um, Russia or whatever, you know, certainly, you know, if, if governance failings are to be resolved in those markets, you know, there would be, a, there would be an uptick in, in valuations. There are investors who won't touch the market because they don't have confidence in, you know, in the governance structures mm. or the boards or whatever it might be. And in, in the U.S., you know, the area tends to be these board accountability, shareholder rights is, is, you know, is one of the, you know, the problem areas that is, does impact on valuation. For investors looking to sharpen their focus, MSCI compiled a handy list of companies that have no proxy access and entrenched boards. Amid those that are widely held, MSCI listed seven companies yet to implement proxy access, including Starbucks and Aetna. Mifid 2. La Mifid 2 innovando su Mifid 2. Perché la Mifid 2 non aveva avuto. Mifid 2. Denominata Mifid 2. The Mifid 2. I want to talk to you about Mifid 2. Mifid. What is Mifid? Mifid. Mifid 2. The center cannot hold, and the great unbundling has begun. Mifid's second coming might save European capital markets, but at what cost? Elizabeth Judd finds out what's next for equity research in Europe in the current edition of IR Magazine. The report begins with commentary by IHS Market Managing Director Tom Conigliaro. And Laurie Havelock brings us audio highlights. Conigliaro feels convinced by estimates that the $15 billion research industry in Europe could soon shrink to $10 billion after the unbundling of research fees through MIFID II takes full effect in January 2018. Quote, significant asset managers have already cut their research lists, in some cases by 20%, before the regulations have even hit, he points out. Martin Liedermitt, deputy head of investor relations for chemicals manufacturer BASF, also predicts a decline in the amount of equity research available. Quote, one thing is clear, he says, the entire sell-side research landscape will definitely change. Liedermitz notes that less research coverage is not a hardship for BASF, which has 30 active analysts, but it would pose serious challenges for IROs at smaller and mid-cap companies. He says his fellow IROs are, quote, reporting that in the last three or four years, there is a trend toward declining coverage, and this trend will intensify once the new rules are in place. With a shrinking sales side, Liedermitz has begun to see a, quote, increasing trend of being indirectly contacted by investors, which other IR professionals have also noticed. As the changes from MIFID 2 continue to unfold, he is investigating new ways to reach more investors without a larger IR team. Rather than hosting additional investor field trips, for instance, he's mulling virtual presentations. Although much remains unclear, Liedermitz is convinced IROs in the coming environment should prepare for investors to be, quote, using a lot more in-house resources. Another possibility is commissioning paid research. Independent research providers have flourished in the U.S., but far fewer have gained foothold in Europe. One of them is London-based Edison Investment Research. 
Neil Shaw is research director. Shaw notes that Edison has borrowed the model used for bond ratings, in which companies pay Standard & Poor's or Moody's to write research reports. Edison, which has 440 issuers paying for commissioned research, gets business from companies that are quote, seeing a paucity of coverage and a lot of experienced analysts disappearing from the street, he says. With more public companies fighting for the time and the attention of both the buy side and the sell side, Shah advises IROs to redouble their efforts to make their companies easy to follow. This means reviewing your website and presentation materials and regularly producing key performance indicators. He also recommends that IROs get more creative with targeting, looking beyond traditional institutions to family offices, private wealth clients and retail owners. In the end, Conigliaro says MIFID 2 will have far-reaching consequences because of the new rules will change the expectations of asset managers that control the research purse strings. Quote, This regulation is definitely a global one, he continues, even if it's not necessarily intended to be so at face value. You'll find Elizabeth Judd's full report at irmagazine.com. And if you're like me, you can't get enough MIFID. We've got more MIFID. Sarah Jane Mahmood is European Union Regulatory Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. Lindsay Wright is Director of IR at William Hill. They're both total MIFID II nerds. And you can pick their brains by signing up for IR Magazine's next webinar, What MIFID II Means for IROs. That's Tuesday, January 31st at 11 a.m. Eastern. And here's another date to remember, February 2nd. And the place, Toronto. The Thing, the IR Awards Canada 2017. Tonight, we're going to reveal which companies, which IROs, which CEOs, which CFOs have been doing the best investor relations over the course of the past year. It's the country's biggest annual investor relations shindig. Book your seat now and check out the Investor Perception Seminar that morning. Find out how the best IRO talent tackles the same issues you face. And check out IR Space. IR Magazine's new social network is live. That's all for this week. Rate the show on iTunes. Subscribe. Share it with your friends. Send us voice memos. Thanks for listening. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cossette. You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app.